Well, I think we had a little bit of worship here today, a little bit of praise. If you're alive from the dead, you ought to act like it, right? Amen. A couple of things real quickly. First of all, my sweetheart, Kathy, is here, and it's good to see her. And I, I think she looks so pretty today. And then next to her, with the hat on, looking like you're wondering, what's that tattooed guy doing with his arm around Kathy? That's my son, martial arts guy. That's Jeremy. So anyway, good to see Jeremy. Now, uh, last night I was putting some new strings on my guitar that's at home. You know why I was doing that? Because I'm getting ready. We're going to play December the 9th. We're going to have about 25 guitars up here, at least, maybe more. And that's a Wednesday night, December the 9th, and we're going to sing and play all together, all at once, 14 Christmas carols. And we're going to sing, going to get into the Christmas spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. And um, so last night I was just kind of getting ready for it, and uh, it stirred me. Those strings have been on that guitar for about 10 years. I felt terrible. But when I put the new ones on, man, it sounded good. So I'm going to be up here, 25 or more others, and we're going to have a great, great time. Amen? Amen. All right, now, let's stand together and read 1 Samuel 17. And I'm going to talk to you today about the bully biting the dust. This is my favorite one in the whole series because we're going to look at the most famous fight in the history of the world which wasn't much much of a fight at all. It didn't last 10 seconds after the bell rung. And David took Goliath down in the first round. Goliath never got to move. He only got to fall. So let's just read what happened here. 1 Samuel 17, verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly away. Is that what it says? No, he wasn't bullied, was he? He ran toward, I love that word, toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground with a great thud. That's what I added. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And the Holy Ghost was very careful put the following words in the word of God wants us to know without a sword in his hand he struck down the Philistine and killed him not by might or power or worldly weaponry he did it by faith in the name of the Lord and then David ran and stood over him he took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath and after he killed him he cut off his head with the sword And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and fled. And then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistine. Their dead were strewn along the road, and there was a great, great victory to the glory of God. Well, our God is a God of victory. Our God is a God of victory. Our God is a God who always leads us to triumph in Jesus Christ. And David gave all the glory to God. Now let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you will open our eyes to see the reality of spiritual warfare. And help us, Lord, to utilize the weapons of our warfare that are not carnal, but mighty through God. 
to pull down strongholds. Those things that have erected themselves against God's purpose in our life. Those things that stand in opposition to our destiny. Thank you, Lord, that the weapons you have given us will bring those obstacles down. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him your giant has already been killed. Your giant has already been killed. Do you believe that? Now, we saw last time that David refused to give up verbal ground to Goliath. Very important. Goliath had defeated the armies of Israel without having to lift a finger. Goliath had defeated them by verbal intimidation. And I shared with you last week that the enemy hadn't changed. He, he still used the same old bag of tricks. And the enemy tries to intimidate you and me by words. The kinds of words that came at David when David decided to kill Goliath are so uh, stereotypical of what comes against you and me when we're headed for a great victory. And you know what? When you're a Christian, you're always headed to another victory. Because we go from glory to glory and faith to faith, not failure to failure and defeat to defeat. But we go from glory to glory and faith to faith. Now, three kinds of words came at him from three key people. And just a little quick recap of last week. First one came from his older brother, Eliab, who spoke to him belittling words. Eliab tried to define David down. And I told you last time that I don't hang around people that try to define me down. Have you ever noticed that when Jesus was getting ready to use somebody, he always defined them. You are the salt of the earth. You are as a defining word. You are the light of the world. Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. You are an answer and not a question mark. When God got ready to use somebody, Old Testament and New, he said to Gideon, when he appeared to Gideon with the angel, he said, Hail thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon looked behind him like, who are you talking to? Who was it? It was God defining his future warrior. When God gets ready to to use you, he first defines you, then he sends you. But here's the devil doing the opposite. When the devil wants to take you down, he also does the same thing. He tries to define you down. You don't have it. You don't got it. You're no good. You're not lovable. You're not likable. You're not talented. You're useless. I've never seen anybody really go into a self-destructive lifestyle that did not first believe the devil's defining of them down. So here comes his brother, Hey, hey, David, why don't you go back to the sheepfold, back to the pasture, and pasture those few, few little sheep that you've got. Who are you to think that you can do anything with this giant? Belittling words. And then he goes to his king. His king was the head of the army, and King Saul spoke doubting words to him. And he said four really bad words. Saul said to him, you are not able. I've learned to never believe when somebody says to me, listen, when somebody says to me, you are not able, I immediately discern the source. When the enemy says, you are not able, God says, you can do all things for him who strengthens you. 
So it matters so much who we listen to and whose words we receive about us. Because listen, if you'll receive God's defining up of you, you are more than a conqueror, defining words. You are salt, defining words. You are the light, defining words. If you will believe them, listen, it charges you and inspires you to go and conquer some giants. So he got belittling words and then doubting words, and then the giant spoke threatening words to him. And those are the three kinds of words that come at you and me when we're about to go do something great for God or we're in the middle of a work for him. The devil will send belittling words or doubting words or threatening words. Goliath said, hey, boy, today I'm going to feed your body to the animals and to the birds of the air. And I love what David did. He reversed the curse and said, no, you've got it all wrong. Today, I'm going to feed your body to the birds of the air. And not only you, but all of your army. And he refused to receive these words that came from the enemy. Now, we also saw that David's motivation was not, uh, you know, Saul had said, whoever kills this giant, I'm going to give them my daughter for marriage and I'm going to remove taxes from you the rest of your life. I'd go up against the Goliath for that. <laughs> Tax-free living the rest of your life. And that's what he was told. But David didn't want any of that. David's motivation was totally different, and it needs to be our motivation. His motivation was the glory of the Lord. I'm bringing this giant down. Listen to what he said, that all the earth may know that there is a God. Boy, I like that. I could stop right there. That all the earth may know that there is a God. That's why I'm not using a sword or a spear or a bow and arrow or a shield or an armor bearer or any of the other things that the world uses. I'm bringing you down in the name of the Lord that the whole earth may know there is a God in Israel. And then all this assembly shall know the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's. Can you say with me, my battle is the Lord's? However the enemy has attacked you, as soon as he attacked you, he attacked him. David said, this is not my battle. I'm just a vessel. This is the Lord's battle. The battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. I love that. Now, following the verbal conflicts, the physical conflict commenced, and there really wasn't much to it. David stepped forward, put a rock in his sling, Slung it one time, it went straight to the mark, and the giant fell with a thud. Now, I was thinking about this story. I preached on this story many, many times, but I, I want to bring some things out that I've never preached before about it. I want you to look at this in amazing. I, this was an amazing, amazing victory. You know, if I had a time machine, and I could go back in time to three places, first place I would go I would immediately go back to hear Jesus teach and get right in his presence and touch him. Without even having to think about it or pray about it, that's where I would go. Second place I'd want to go is watch this battle. Take me back. I'd like to watch this battle because here's a ruddy-faced 17-year-old acne pock teenager. Okay? And, and you know what I saw from this story? Oh, we got to remember this. God uses the improbable to bring down the impossible. Now I want you to under, look, at, look at your neighbor and say, you're the improbable. 
And you look up at me and say, I'm the improbable too. God uses the improbable. God uses what you would never guess he's going to use to bring about the impossible so that no flesh can glory in what he does. If you were to go back and interview any of these men in the army of Israel and say to them, how do you think this giant is eventually going to come down? Do you think any of them would ever have imagined that out of the sheepfold, somewhere on the Judean countryside, God would sovereignly bring a 17-year-old teenager who wasn't even in the army, who wasn't trained, and that he would put together a sling and a stone and walk up and bring that giant down. If I gave you 100 years to guess that's how Goliath was going to be handled, you would never have guessed that. You would have guessed, oh, it's going to take a mighty warrior. He's going to be girt in armor. He's going to have an armor bearer. And he's going to go against this giant. And it's going to be bad. And it's going to be intense. And somebody's going to win. And maybe we will and maybe we won't. But that's not what God did at all. God said, I'm going to use the improbable to bring about the impossible. Because that's what God loves to do. He always uses the improbable, what nobody would guess, to bring about the impossible. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen you. God has chosen the foolish things of the world. I put myself right there the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the lowly things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen. And the things of no reputation to bring to nothing the things that are. And then you say, well, why is that God's way? Paul answers it, that no flesh should glory in his presence. He does it so that nobody can look at the vessel that he used and say, well, I understand. Look at them. They're so impressive. They're so powerful. They're so charismatic. They're so brilliant. No, God chooses the foolish things, the things of no reputation, the things of no count, the improbable. So that when he moves, nobody will look at the vessel. You've got to look up and say, God did this. God did this. I was thinking about the the start of the early church. Here's the early church. Jesus begins his ministry, and who does he look for? Does he go looking for the who's who's? Does he go looking for the scholars, the rich, the impressive, the mighty, the strong, the accomplished? No. He goes to the seashore and he starts picking blue-collar, salty, lifelong, unknown fishermen. And he says, follow me, and I will make you to become. Now, in the Greek, that is so powerful. That word become, it means I'm going to make you to be something you would never have been apart from me. I'm going to make you to become fishers of men. You know, the Lord takes you and he begins to define you. 
And then as he defines you and you receive his defining over your life, you're the redeemed of the Lord. You've been saved. You're filled with the Spirit. You're adopted. You're a child of God. You're heaven bound. You are called. You are sanctified. You are glorified. All the defining words he speaks over us and we begin to move in that. Then, then a becoming takes place. A becoming takes place. He begins to fashion us and mold us and shape us into vessels he can use. I don't just preach. Preaching isn't my job. This isn't my job. I don't get up here and do a job. You know what? I preach because he made me to become a preacher. You know, I preach because I've got to preach. If you get me out of a crowd of people and you get me off somewhere where I can't preach to anybody, watch out. Guarantee you, I'm going to preach to the squirrels, and I'm going to preach to the raccoons, and I'm going to preach to the birds because the word has got to come out of me. His word is shut up in my bones like a fire, and I can't keep it in. But you know what? I wasn't that way at first. I was a washed out, drugged out, dropped out hippie, but Jesus looked down into juvenile home where I was locked up, and he said, you know what? I'm going to pick something foolish. I'm going to pick the improbable. And I'm going to lay my hand on somebody that nobody would ever get. Ask my parents, did you ever think Jeff was going to be a pastor? <laughs> but you see, God chooses the improbable to do the impossible. So that no, and, and before I knew it, he was making me to become. And now I preach because I am a preacher. In every atom of my being, I'm a preacher. And God makes you to become what he's called you to be. He's a maker of people. Now, secondly, I see here, David made sure the giant was dead. You say, well, duh, it's dead. But watch this. The Bible records, I'm going to read it to you. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But wait a minute. Verse 1 is only telling us that ultimately he killed him. But I'm going to show you something. There was no sword in the hand of David. And then it goes on to the next verse. And the next verse lets us know the stone didn't kill him. The stone knocked him out. The stone hit him right here and down he went. Because the very next verse says, Therefore ran, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him then. And cut off his head with it. Can I tell you what I see here? David wasn't content with a stunned giant or a befuddled giant or a knocked out giant. To David's mind, the only good giant was a dead giant. David didn't say, well, I knocked you down and you're knocked out. So I've done my job. I'm going to walk away now. That's not what David did. He said, no, I am Israel's champion. I am God's anointed. I don't walk away from giants that aren't totally done in. I am going to end you so you don't get up again and ever terrorize Israel again. So to me, I've got to kill you. Now, follow me. I'm going somewhere with this. This is exactly what our David did. See, we've got a David. His name is Jesus. And this is exactly what our David did, Jesus, with the giants that we face. And let me tell you the three giants that we face. Let me tell you what they are. The world, the flesh, 
and the devil. And the Bible says that every giant we deal with comes from one of those three. The world, the flesh, or the devil. There's not a giant in your life that hadn't been spawned by one of those three. I want you to remember that Goliath is a physical illustration or type of these spiritual giants that every one of us as Christians deal with. And Jesus defeated all three of our greatest giants. And what I came to tell you today is he didn't leave them knocked out. He didn't leave them stunned. Jesus killed them. He killed them. Now, that we know the devil's a defeated foe. He knows that his time is short. The day is going to come when he is thrown into the lake of fire and he is gone forever. And won't that be a glorious day when there's no more devil anywhere? But Jesus, he's already a defeated foe. He's already had his teeth removed. He's a roaring lion, but he's a defeated lion. And the world is going to be judged at the return of Christ. The Bible says that when Jesus returns, he's going to judge the whole world and take over the world from Jerusalem and rule as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that day is coming soon. But watch this. The Bible says our sinning flesh has already been killed by our David, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, folks, without the flesh, Satan has nothing to work with. We all deal with the flesh. And I want you to listen to what Paul said. He said, we know, and this is good stuff. Do you know? He said, we know, but do you know? We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. I'm going to go there again. We know. That our old sinful selves, that means your flesh, were crucified with Christ. Why? So that sin might lose its power over us. We are no longer, say with me, I am no longer a slave to sin. Here's the deal. When sin calls, you don't have to answer. When sin calls, you don't have to answer. Before you were saved, you always had to answer. But now that you're saved, when sin calls, you don't have to answer. You know why? Because that old sinful flesh was crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power. We are no longer slaves to sin. Now, the old sinful self that Paul mentions here is your flesh. And listen to what Paul says about the flesh. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. You know what happens to something when you crucify it? It's dead. He didn't say anesthetized it. He didn't say knock it out, but not dead. He didn't say stupefy it. He didn't say knock it unconscious. He said, those who belong to Christ Jesus have killed the flesh with its passions and desires. We know that our old sinful sinful selves were killed with Christ. When Jesus died, your old man died with Jesus. They say, Jeff, how could that possibly happen? I don't know, but I don't have to know. This morning I got into a car. 
I pushed a button and it started. I don't know how that happened. That's a miracle to me every time it happens. And, 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 and if you said, Jeff, get under the hood and fix something, I couldn't do it. I would need God to come with a visitation from heaven to tell me how to fix the way that thing starts. And when I push the button again, it stops. I don't understand how. I don't need to understand how. All I know is I get in it, it gets me here, and it lets me out. I don't understand how a brown cow eats green grass that brings white milk that turns to yellow butter. But I love the milk, and I love the butter. I don't have to understand. All I know is this. God told me in his word. As the old song says, were you there when they crucified my Lord? The answer is yes, you were there. In God's mysterious dealings, you were there. I don't know how God did it, but when Jesus died and breathed his last, your old man, my old man, the body of sin, that sinful flesh was crucified with him. I know what you're thinking. Well, Jeff, what's the flesh? Well, it's not this. It's not the skin. It's wrapped around your skeletal system. That's not the flesh. When the Bible talks about the flesh, that's not what the Bible is talking about. The flesh is that thing within us that does not want to obey God. The flesh is that inner kicking against God's will. God says, do this, and we don't want to do that. We do, but we don't. Like Augustine prayed. Lord, make me pure, just not now. (laughs) It's the desire to do what we know is wrong. That's the flesh. Paul said, let me tell you what it's like to deal with the flesh. He said, what I want to do, I do not do. But the very thing I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. Anybody been this way yet this year? Tell the truth, every hand ought to go up here. Have you been that way this year? You say, you know what God wants you to do, but something inside of you says, but I'd rather do something else, and you have a choice. And Paul said, who will deliver me, O wretched man that I am, from this body of death? And he said, thank God, Jesus Christ will. Then he says, I find then a law. That evil is present with me, the one who wants to do good. I want to do good, but there's something else in me that wants to do bad. That's the flesh. Let me give you an Old Testament example. Did you know that in the Old Testament, God commanded his people, do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together? I know what you're thinking. What are you talking about? Oh, I'm going to show you. He said, listen, when you start to plow a field, don't you dare get an ox and a donkey and put them in the same harness yoked together so that they will plow the field with you. And let me tell you why God said, don't put an ox and a donkey together. Because they were of two completely different natures. The donkey was stubborn. The ox was docile. The donkey ate junk. He ate anything. Poison, weeds, poison grass, tin cans. The donkey ate anything. But the ox ate healthy grass.
grass. The donkey resisted the harness. The ox received the harness. The donkey snapped at and fought the ox. It it was really, it was animal abuse to put them together. Because the ox had one temperament, the donkey another. The ox had one way, the donkey another. The ox was of one nature, the donkey another. The donkey would snap at and fight the ox, but the ox was peaceful. So he had this big struggle if you had yoked together an ox and a donkey. And what I'm trying to tell you today is the donkey is a picture of our flesh. And the ox is a picture of the Spirit of God in us. The flesh is stubborn, just like the donkey. It feeds on junk. It resists and resents authority. And it fights the Holy Spirit within us each and every day. Paul said, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. So that you do not do the things you wish. There you have the flesh. Now watch this. In all of Israel, there was only one man who could kill Goliath. We know that because for 40 days he had challenged the army of Israel and there wasn't one man till David came along. He was the only man in all of Israel who could kill Goliath. And can I tell you, in all the world, there was only one person who could kill the giant of our sinning flesh. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one. And David had a sling and a rock from a creek bed that he used against Goliath. And he went up against the Goliath with a sling and a rock. But Jesus didn't use a sling and a rock. Here's what Jesus used, the cross. He used the cross. Listen again. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. So that sin might lose its power over us. We are no longer slaves to sin. That's why Paul's testimony is, look what he wrote. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. And I, that is my old sinful self, no longer live. Do you get the import of these words? Do you see the power of these words? He said, my old man, my flesh, that sinning flesh, isn't just knocked out, but It no longer lives. But Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Jesus, our David, has killed the giant of our sinful flesh and calls us to live in that reality. By two ways. Here's how we live in the reality of what Jesus has already done. I want you to say again with me, Jesus has killed my sinful flesh. Now, now, can we try it like you really believe it? Let's try it again. Jesus has killed my sinful flesh. Now, Paul said, we know. Do you know that? See, this is theology. And and people think theology or doctrine is boring. But you know what? Without understanding these things, this is why so many Christians live a defeated life, because they don't understand the flesh was crucified by Jesus Christ. It's dead. So when sin comes knocking You don't say, hello, I've been waiting for you. You say, what are you doing here? I'm dead. 
Jesus, our David, has killed the giant of our sinful flesh. And we're called to live in that reality by two ways. The power of the Spirit and the truth of the Word of God. I want you to imagine that Jesus has placed in your hands a sling and a stone. There they are. What's the stone? The stone is the truth of God's Word. And the sling that fires the stone against your giants is the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says, we're told in Ephesians, the Holy Spirit's sword is the Word of God. So when we're in a battle with a giant, he's not brought down by worldly weaponry. He's brought down by the weapons of our warfare that are mighty through God. And what are they? The Holy Spirit that he put within us and the Word of God that the Holy Spirit uses to hurl into the forehead of the giants that are attacking us. We're told by the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's Word, we not only knock the giant out, we kill him. Listen to what Romans 8 says. If I by the Spirit do put to death the sinful deeds of the flesh, I shall live. How do I subdue sin? Because the enemy, listen, the devil, the last thing he wants you to understand is what I'm preaching today. Because when we understand that the giant has been killed, when we understand what Jesus has done for us, then we step forward in faith and we say, listen, you're dead. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, I put you to death. I'm not going to allow my flesh to come off the cross and say, you still got to serve me because I shall no longer be a slave to sin. Isn't that good news? Do you remember when you were lost, you had no option. When you were lost, you had to do what sin wanted you to do because you were a slave to sin. But the Bible wants us to understand now that we are adopted, we are sons and daughters of God. And since we have been adopted and are now sons and daughters of God, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves of Christ. We are his followers. And we can say no to sin by the power of the Spirit. The Greek language in this, in this uh, particular verse is in the tense that means it's an ongoing process. We daily crucify. We daily put to death our sinful flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's Word. Listen to what the Bible says. So consider your old sin nature as dead. I'm going to get this CD. This is good stuff. And you need to get it because some of you still haven't gotten this. But, oh, you need to get this. I'm going to say it again. Consider. You know what the King James says? King James says, says reckon. Well, being in Texas, let's try it. I reckon. My sin nature is dead. That means consider it to be an absolute fact. It's true. Well, that's not the way I feel. It doesn't matter how you feel. So he says, reckon that your old sin nature is dead and it's unresponsive to sin. You can't tempt a dead person. Hey, you want to go to the bar? You want to go do some drugs? Good luck because you know that dead person is not going to respond. What he's telling us is your old nature is dead. You, you don't have to go. You don't have to yield to it. Uh, you are not doomed to repeat your sin. 
I have to do so many illustrations to get something over. But, but I want you to understand, the, the, the word used here is thanatos. Thanatos is the Greek word that you would use to d- describe a dead body. He's telling us, your old nature was crucified with Jesus. And as Jesus died, it died. That's why when we baptize people in water, we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him by baptism into his death, and raised to walk in newness of life. The Bible says, Consider your old sin nature as dead and unresponsive to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when sin comes knocking, you're dead. When God comes knocking, you say, Here I am. I'm alive to God. As Christians, we're called to live and walk in the reality of what Jesus, our David, has already done for us. And this is exactly what what, what Israel did when they realized that Goliath had fallen. See, it was a revelation to them. They saw Goliath drop, but then they saw David definitively kill him. And when they realized that their giant was dead, you know what happened? They experienced collateral victories when they realized the giant was dead. In other words... When a stronghold in our life comes down, church, many other things fall with it. Because it says, I love this, look what it says. It says, when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Because the Philistines were getting their strength from Goliath. But when they realized he was dead, they said, we can't hang on without him, so we've got to flee. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus, when he sets you free, he does exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think. When, when, when Israel realized Goliath was dead, the Bible says, I love this, it says, the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines, and the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road. Wouldn't it be great for the Lord's church to arise and shout that he has killed our giants, the world, the flesh, and the devil, that we have been set free from the tyranny of the flesh. Amen? Israel's army was emboldened when Goliath fell. Following months of defeat and humiliation, when they realized Goliath was dead, they attacked the rest of the army, and they experienced collateral victory. Not only did they take down the rest of the Philistines, but they plundered their tents and got riches out of the victory. It's been my experience when a stronghold comes down, many other things come down with it. I've told you often that my stronghold was fear. I had a lot of fear in my life, but, and, and it really attacked me when I began to go into the ministry. And it was like the enemy was saying, you think you're going to go in the ministry, Jeff? I'm going to unleash everything I've got against you. It was sort of like Satan's last stand. And everything, fears, engulfed my mind. And voices that seemed to say, you're never going to get over this. You're never going to get past this. This mountain is beyond you. You're not going to be able to go on. This is the end for you. You're not going to be able to overcome me. And then one day God opened my eyes and a word came to me. The law of the Lord, the word of the Lord is perfect, restoring the mind. It was like the Lord said, I have put in your hand a stone and a sling. You've got the word of God and you've got the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to arm the Holy Spirit with the word of God. 
So I began to memorize Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. I memorized the whole book of James. I memorized Psalms 19, Psalms 91, Psalms 23, Psalms 1, a bunch of the Word of God. And one day I woke up and realized that my giant had fallen like a thud. Now, I want you to hear me. And, and then there was collateral victories immediately. Doors began to open. I began to reach more people. I was able to study better because my mind wasn't preoccupied with all that stuff. There was collateral secondary victory that resulted from that giant coming down in my life. Jesus knows the Goliaths that are coming against you. He knows what they're saying to you. I defy you and I defy your God. And where's your God? And why aren't you free? And I'm here to tell you today, that giant is doomed in your life because you will know the truth and that's what sets you free. So can we stand together today? And I want you to say with me, God uses the improbable. That's me to do the impossible. Jesus has already killed my giants and collateral victory is coming as my stronghold is broken. I believe that with all of my heart. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He has defeated your giant. He's defeated him. Let's bow for prayer. Father.